Welcome to the Entre Pastors Podcast. This show helps pastors think, act, and thrive as prosperous entrepreneurs. And now, here are your hosts, Les Hughes and John Sanders. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Entre Pastors Podcast. My name is John Sanders. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show, and I hope you all are sitting down because I got some exciting news for you. Joining us back in the Entre Pastor Studios is my other co-host, Les Hughes. Les, welcome back, buddy. Mm, man, it is great to be back, and it's good to see you, John. And you know, is it my imagination, or you just look a little colder than usual? You are not imagining, my friend. We are in the middle of a South Dakota blizzard right now, so I'm freezing, man. I got to get somewhere warmer. This is not good. We're working on it. Yeah, absolutely. Someday, someday. Actually, yeah. next week, Les, you and I are going <laughs> to yeah. be in Florida together, brother, so I'm looking forward yeah, to it. man. It's going to be awesome. Hanging out gonna on the be beach. Awesome. Leave your Speedo at home. Nobody needs to see that. But, uh, no, we're good. All right, buddy. Well, hey, welcome back. I know you had an awesome trip Thanks. visiting family and a little bit of a hiccup getting back into the country, but I'm glad the United mm. States opened their doors and let you back in. Ooh, man, it is a great place to be. It sure right. is. Great, great to be home. Well, if I look tired less, it's because I've been holding down the Entree Pastors Fort heavily for <laughs> no. the last two weeks. So, no, it's been been just yeah, fine, man. Well. I'm glad to have well, you back, man. though. Hey, you got some broad shoulders. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, my uh, The guest that we're getting ready to bring on today, I had the privilege of interviewing while you were gone, but I can't wait to share him. You know him really well, so I'm going to let you tell our audience a little bit about him before I give a little more detailed overview of the show. So tell us about yeah. Drew Grubbs. Man, Drew checks off so many boxes for our community. Really, in many ways, is just perfect for uh, what we're what we're doing and what we're trying to help other people do. So, Drew is a he's a he's a pastor and a church planner. He also leads a, a really successful nonprofit organization. He's a coach. He um, he's great for our community. He he certainly believes in in what we're doing. As you know, I think a few episodes ago, several episodes ago, we ran. Uh, read a review that he had written even early on in our in this venture, oh. but Drew, in so many ways, he's he's, he's also just a, a likable guy. Um, he's an individual that if you just spent a couple of minutes talking with him, you'd feel like you feel like you have known him for a long time. And so, man, I'm so so thankful that we get to share him on this podcast, and uh, our our listeners are really going to enjoy meeting Drew. Absolutely, yeah, he's a he's a kindred spirit to, uh, to say the least, and. You know, I'm just going to let everyone know as you hear this interview unfolding, just know that Drew is one of the the pastors in our Entree Pastors Mastermind. And the only reason I say that is I want you to realize that there are pastors out there doing what you want to do. For those of you that desire to be an entrepreneurial pastor and have one or more businesses and streams of revenue that that's producing for you, in addition to being a pastor of a healthy church and really investing your your time and energy there as well. It can be done. It is being done. And uh, we're grateful to be bringing a community together where we're, we're finding these guys and gals out there and we're bringing them together in this community. So uh, yeah, Drew and I, we had a really powerful conversation in addition to his businesses. He's involved in some nonprofit stuff. So we go deep into that. And uh, he's he's really specializes in helping raise funds for nonprofits and so we talked a lot about that on the show as well. So there's some really good stuff coming our way. Les, it's great to have you back. Without any further ado, I can't wait to share this interview with you that we did with Drew Grubbs. Check this out. Well, Drew, welcome to the Entree Pastors Podcast, man. It's great having you on the show. Thanks for your time. 
absolutely. I'm excited to do it. Drew, I met you at the very first Entree Pastors live event we did last October, and and you pretty quickly got uh, you know jumped into our community. And the more that I've heard from you, the more I've heard about you, the more I've gotten to know you, I still have this sense that there is much more to Drew Grubbs than meets the eye, and we're going to get to the bottom of it in this interview. You good with that? Absolutely. Good, man. Well, so let's start with this. For those who do not know who Drew Grubbs is, give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself, and I'd love to hear, too, about your journey into pastoral ministry. Tell us a little bit about where you're serving as a pastor, and then we'll go from there. Okay. All right. Well, I was, um, uh, I'm a preacher's kid. So I was raised by a, a Calvary Chapel pastor, uh, out of Atlanta, Georgia. He, pa- he planted and pastored the same church for 32 years. So, I uh, love the church. My dad, uh, actually preached, uh, better sermons the way he lived than even the way he was preaching. Cause he just was, he was the real deal. So that, that drew me to the church. I would meet, sometimes I'd meet preacher's kids that weren't into church. Yep. That was shocking to me. Uh, cause I actually love the church. And so I got saved when I was a kid, got saved when I was seven. Uh, I got excited about that, read the Bible for the first time when I was 12 and, uh, loved the Bible. I mean, kind of fell in love with just the principles and how to, how to really, uh, you know, get in alignment with God and seek first, you know, what his will was for my life. So that was exciting to me. Uh, at 16, I started filling a call to ministry. My dad pushed back, wanted to make sure that, you know, it was really what I was supposed to do. Uh, he used, you know, the line that some guys use, you know, if you can do anything else, do it, you yep. know? And so I did, I explored a few other thoughts and everything, but really had a burden for, uh, for student ministry, uh, even as a student. And, uh, so in 1986, I took over, uh, our middle school program as a sophomore in high school. And, uh, that was it, man. That was the journey. And for the next 34 years, um, I've been involved in, in student ministry, uh, primarily through the local church, but I've also, uh, led, uh, uh, ministries for Metro Atlanta's Youth for Christ and uh, for uh, the uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes in, in Pinellas County as well. So uh, that's how I got going. Uh, my wife and I got married. I was young. I, was, uh, I got engaged when I was 20, got married when I was 21. I had all four of my sons by the time I was 29. Uh, and so uh, my wife and I have four sons. We got two daughter-in-laws and one one grandbaby. And um Still love the church. I've thought oftentimes about, you know, maybe doing something outside the church just to consult or help people and everything like that, but I always end up back in, uh, in some way or another. Uh, I just think it's part of who I am. And so, uh, uh right now I'm in a, in a lead pastor role. Uh, but I'm a little bit different than, than a lot of guys. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a utility player. I, I like to, I like to do all things in the church. Uh, I really do. I've been, I've done children's youth. I've been an executive pastor, been a family life guy. Um, and literally not, and that doesn't mean I've been all over the place with churches. I literally have moved around kind of whatever the pastor needed me to do. Um, and my dad taught me that. And I taught that to my son. So I got three sons who are in ministry as well. One who's serving our country as a Marine, but the three uh, that are in ministry, they're also utility players. They, they lead worship. They can teach youth. They can do stuff. Uh, I just like the idea of not being a one trick pony when it comes to church, especially if it's a smaller church, mm-hmm. uh, smaller church kind of do some different things. So, uh, that's kind of the way I learned ministry and that's what I like doing. So I, I, I enjoy being the lead pastor. I certainly enjoy preaching. I certainly enjoy that, that sort of thing. Um, but I enjoyed all the roles, honestly. And, uh, and I certainly enjoyed youth ministry or I wouldn't have spent 34 years in it, you know? Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so that's, that's kind of my heart for the church. I, I, um, 
have enjoyed uh, every every aspect of serving the church. One of one things that helped me tremendously. I meet guys who have church hurts and issues with the with the church. My dad taught me something. He said, "Listen, you know, I love the church because Jesus died for it, not because people are going to be nice to you." And, uh, and so, uh, that's helped me tremendously. And also the idea that not feeling like people owe me anything. Um, I'm serving people because of of what Christ did for me. I'm passing it on. And so I don't feel like people owe me anything. Therefore, I don't really get burnt too much. I mean, I've had people work me over completely, uh, but it didn't bother me as much because, um, I don't say this to them because I don't want it to be, feel feel ugly, but I wasn't doing it for them. You know, yeah. uh, I was doing it for the Lord. And so that helped, that has helped me keep a very, uh, healthy attitude. Um, and, uh, I don't get, I don't, I don't really get hurt by church people. I mean, uh, in Calvary chapel, they talk about the fact that we work with sheep and sheep bite, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that is true, but that's okay with me because people are people and I, I love serving them. Uh, and I've, I've made a few mistakes along the way myself. So, uh, yeah. I, I have a, I have a pretty uh, level of patience for people. So I've made a few mistakes too. I think I have to really meditate on that. I think I could probably point to a couple that I've made, but you know, Drew, I've, I've noticed something and I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but just as I heard you say this, what I'm seeing is that it seems I'm not giving all the credit to what you just shared to the fact that you're in business and that you have some other things going outside of the church. But it seems to me that the pastors who have some other form of identity, some other thing that they show up for in addition to their role in the church, sometimes are a little bit more emotionally healthy when it comes to dealing with those problems in the church. And I wonder if some of that's because of the fact that, like I said, they just have another platform, they have another place, and their their sole identity is not connected to their role as a pastor. And therefore, when people push back in that role, that's kind of like, well, it is what it is. You know, I've just noticed some entree pastors that seem, this is not a scientific observation, but uh, just anecdotal. It seems that there's maybe a level of, I've got some other outlets to go serve and be used by God. And it's not, it doesn't all stem from success in this one role in the church. What are your thoughts on that? Well, 100% agree. Imagine yourself kind of getting to the point, you know, you're in your forties, your fifties, you served the church for a long time. And now you're, um, you're making a decent living. I mean, you're not making six figures or anything, but you're making a decent living. Uh, and you start to realize that you've not been trained to do anything but this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you're at 65,000, 70,000, you've got your insurance and everything and all your eggs are really in one basket. And somebody starts coming after you and they're shaking you up and they're coming after your core values. And you start to realize if I lose this job mm-hmm. and don't put, gain another job. Um, if I end up down, you know, just going to work for the Home Depot or some other place just to just to get an hourly rate, um, I, I may go from seventy thousand a year to to thirty five thousand or forty thousand a year, and now I feel very vulnerable because you know that that's my family's uh, livelihood and everything. So if you're coming after me and you're threatening me like that, um, and I'm having to stand up for what I believe. Uh, and I lose that. Yeah. I'm, I mean, that's, that really changes everything. I, I love the idea of knowing that I have two or three different options. So if somebody, if somebody let me go today, you know, they said, Hey, you know, we're, this is not, we're, we're not on the same page. They let me go today that I would, I'd probably take 30 to 60 days to pivot, but I would be making exactly the same amount of money and serving the Lord and not being unfaithful to my call to ministry. And uh, probably try to go win layman of the year at the local church, you know, <laughs> um, and 
but but I wouldn't be upset, right? I mean, I really wouldn't. And I find that that is now. Now, let me say this though. That also comes with some serious um, discipline on your part because you have to be very careful not to have a, you know, kiss my behind attitude with people, you know, mm. because if you think, hey, you know what, I don't really need this job. Um, if that's if constantly in the back of your mind, then you're not as humble and not as accountable as you need to be. And so for me, it's actually been a discipline because there's many conversations where I think people think they're backing me into a corner. They're not backing me into a corner at all because I certainly have other things I would do and I would be hurt if I, if I went and did those things. So they're not backing me into a corner, but I have to allow myself to feel that a little bit uh, or, or it does come across very arrogant and not like there's real buy-in and stuff. So, um, so I have to be very disciplined. And, I, and I, I'll say this, I think people need to be careful who they talk to about their life, mm. you know, mm. um, not everybody needs to know everything, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, what you find is that people are more interested in what they're into and therefore anything else that you're into uh, that's not that seems to be a threat, you know? So I, I don't know that, you know, pastor can say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm bivocational. I'm part-time. I have other things. Um, I wouldn't get into great detail with a lot of people about that. Um, and, uh, and, until, unless it's a close friend, um, and obviously hopefully your wife's your best friend, you can talk to her about it, you know, but, uh, you yeah. know, other than that, you gotta be careful, you know, how you, how you go about doing it. So, yeah, I totally agree. It's made me love the church more. It's made me love people. I, you know, I had a, had a lady come up to me, uh, and I had to make a staff decision. We, we, we have budget issues. I like to stay at a certain percentage and, uh, I just said, Hey, you know, we're not going to be able to keep this role. And of course she came up to me, the sermon starts at 10 30. She comes up to me at 10 29. Uh, lets me know that she and everybody else in the church is leaving because I made this decision. Um, and uh, back in the back in the day, if I was 30 years old and this is everything I was doing, um, and that would feel really rough. And yeah. that would have been hard for me to preach a sermon. Absolutely. Right? But I preached a killer sermon and I didn't think a lick about that. Um, and I went back around the corner and I told her I had to be careful because I wanted what I wanted to say was, hey, this is the right thing. And if you if you want to hit the road, hit the road. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the right thing. And so I told her, I said, Hey, this is what I had to do. And I want you to pray about whether or not, you know, you, you can see the value and the decision-making and I, and trust me, you know, but I wasn't mad at her and I would have been had, had, you know, I mean, that's not a nice thing to say to someone one minute before they have to preach that yeah. you know, half the church. Is leaving. And of what? course half the church is. <laughs> right. Yeah. But why do they wait till then to come and tell you that those are awesome messages to get right before you go on stage to preach. I get that. <laughs> Man, you've exactly. you've really tapped into some great themes there. You're giving us some new angles to think of content that we could develop. Because I love your statement about having that discipline on one side of the extreme, not to be in that place of needy dependence, but to also be careful not to go to this other extreme of you know I don't need any of you, and you know I'll, I'll walk out anytime I want to or the minute things get rough. So really good stuff. And this is a good transition into uh, what I want to say next. Although, let me back up. There's one other quick thing I wanted to highlight in, in what you just said. Yes, there is wisdom in not sharing all of your successes in in pursuits outside of ministry with your church folks. There's many people in the pews that just don't get it and will not celebrate it, which I believe is, I'm just going to make a plug for our community, like why it is so helpful to have a group of like-minded entree pastors that will celebrate that a group that you can come to and say, Man, I just I just had the most profitable month in my business I have ever had, and that can actually be celebrated and applauded. 
in a healthy environment that's not going to be taken out of context or used against you as a weapon at some point. So that's a really good thing. All right, Drew, here, here yeah. we go. I want to switch gears a little and talk about and have you talk about your some of those business pursuits outside of the church. But here's what I want to preface it with this. I, I once heard one of my mentors say, it's not bragging if you did it. So in this moment, there's going to be a natural tension for you to kind of hold back. You know, I don't want to oversell what I've done and, and speak too highly of myself. I get all that in the humility police are standing, waiting in the wings to, you know, smack us down and go, man, don't be arrogant and prideful. But Drew, there are people who will be challenged and encouraged by your story. And it's not bragging if you did it. It's not bragging if it's the truth. So what I would love for you to do is just unpack with our audience, what are some of the businesses that you've been involved in and to whatever degree you feel comfortable bragging on yourself and what God has done in and through those efforts, feel free to just let it go. And also the vision that you have moving forward, we can get into that a little bit more uh, in the, later in the episode, but where you see this thing going, I'd also love to hear that. So I'm going to try to not step in your way too much. Take it away, man. Tell us about what you're doing in the business realm. Okay. So my wife and I got married. My wife was going to be a music. Uh, she was, she is a music major. She was going to be a music teacher, do a lead a choir. Uh, I was going to go to work as a youth pastor for my dad's church. Uh, we were, you know, this was in, in the early nineties, got married in, in, in 91 and then, um, or in 90, we got married in 90. I get that right. You know, don't, you don't want to get that wrong. <laughs> right. And, and, and we off, we went, you know, um, she, uh, my wife and I had a honeymoon baby. Uh, she got pregnant, did not go to work. Um, I went back and sat down with the church elders and they said, we do want you to be our youth pastor. Uh, but we've decided that we can't pay for a youth pastor this year. And so that was a small package, right? Zero, you know, no insurance, no income. Um, and I had all through high school and I, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but I loved doing delivery. So I worked for Pizza Hut. I loved it. I could listen to 80s love ballads while I drove, drove <laughs> around. Uh, I made a whole lot more money than all my friends. You know, I, I was making, you know, 100, 150 bucks a night back in the 80s. You know, I'm eight, 17, 18 years old, 18 years old when I was allowed to drive. I was, I worked with Pizza Hut up until I could drive and I loved it. And so uh, I was delivering food for a Chinese restaurant um, when my wife and I got married and I was going to switch over, be a youth pastor. She was going to go to work for the school. Uh, we had it all planned out, have about $65,000 a year worth of income and, you know, right off the bat. Um, but she doesn't go to work. The church wants me to be the youth pastor for free, which I did, by the way, because I felt like God had called me to do it. Um, so I'm delivering food out of the back of this Chinese restaurant. And I start to realize that people love Chinese food delivered to their house. They love it. And especially in Metro Atlanta, kind of an upper area, uh, people are just getting sick of just having pizza options. You know, this is far before all the, all the apps, you know? And so um, I realized that the Chinese people, didn't love managing delivery. They, mm. they liked, you know, managing the inside of the restaurant and they didn't want to have to hire drivers and everything like that. Now this, this, John, this will show you when, when this time was, there's no apps to put on, you know, to, right. to show you where it, you know, you, there's no, you know, putting it in your Google map or anything. So we're pulling out the old school maps. we got them hanging on the wall. And, and, uh, I, as, as I'm starting to realize, I thought this little restaurant I'm driving for, there's a lot of Chinese restaurants, you know? And, uh, so I, I start going out and talking to different owners of these restaurants and, uh, I just make a pitch. Hey, what if I came in and managed the delivery of your business? I'll hire the drivers. I'll build it up. And, and uh, marketing was real sophisticated. We went around and hung uh, flyers on mailboxes, 
which, uh, by the way, is illegal. You can't touch the mailbox. But, but you know, it, we, you know, we did all these kind of things trying to get it all going. And uh, and it worked. And so the first restaurant that I worked with, uh, much, by the way, much to my wife's, I mean, just absolute horror is this happening. Because my wife was raised by a vice president of Glidden Paint. Uh, her father worked for the same company, corporate America. And, uh, you know, not only had he not, he eventually came to know the Lord, but he didn't know the Lord at the time. So he thought I was crazy for all the way I believed. And now he thought I was really crazy that I decided that the way to support my wife was through Chinese <laughs> delivery, you know, uh, dropping off the poo-poo platter for two, you know. And Love so uh, he thought I'd lost my mind. But uh, it worked. The first restaurant got it, you know, to the point where they were doing 10, 12,000 a month um, in, in just delivery, you know? And, uh, so I got to the next one and to the next one. Uh, eventually we ended up with, I think closer to 18 restaurants, uh, and, and our gross sales, like we were producing out of the delivery side, uh, you know, pushing close to $2 million. Uh, and we had a small percentage of that. So I was able to start to push towards a six figure income for myself. Um, probably closer to 70, but it felt like six figures when I was 21 years old. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I was like, man, this is, this is working. And here's the thing. I still love delivery. I still loved it. And so I would get out with my guys and I would drive and I was saying, I loved it. I was the best driver we had. And, uh, and, and I, and I wanted to keep it that way. You know, mm -hmm. I was constantly working on it. So I, I just enjoyed every bit of it. Um, and it was kind of a weird thing to have the church come back to me, uh, and tell me that they needed me full time, that they wanted me to come to work for them full time, uh, and, uh, and offer me basically half of what I was making. Mm. And, uh, I, I felt the Lord leading me to do it. And so I went back to the church and just, I became a driver for my own company. I sold it to one of our managers and became a driver. So that was my first time of the entrepreneurial thing. We built it without any debt. Uh, not that I'm, a, uh, not that I'm not about that. I mean, I, I feel like you can build your businesses a lot of ways, sure. um, but no one was lending me any money, right? No, he, no one was going to lend me money. I didn't need them to lend me money. So I just went for it and, um, uh, ended up, I think we had a hundred drivers at one time, um, you know, and, uh, putting them on the schedule wow. and over it was, it was crazy. Um, so got out of that. Um, and you know, my wife really enjoyed, she's, she herself, is a, a big time Drew Grubb supporter, but not an entrepreneurial mindset, right? Yep. So so she's like, I get you and I get that you're different than me, but like she was, she's very happy if if I was to say, hey, I would like to have a 40 hour week job in corporate America. Yep. That, 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 yeah. uh, she also knows after now 33 years of marriage that that's happening never, right? <laughs> right. I, but she gets that. Um, and so, and, you know, she's been very supportive. So we did that. Uh, uh, the other thing we got involved in was uh, our first franchise. We did a, a, a Janet King commercial cleaning franchise, uh, built that up, uh, eventually decided to, to give a number of my contracts to my nonprofit. And so uh, that gets a little tricky because a, a nonprofit has to watch uh, one, one issue is called uh, unrelated income. So if you, if a nonprofit has an income stream that's not related to their mission, it has to stay a certain percentage of their overall revenue. I don't want to geek out on that, but there's a certain thing. This was certainly unrelated income because it just had to do with cleaning. So I, I picked up a Christian school. I picked up two or three things and just gave it to my nonprofit, like a hundred thousand dollars a year worth of revenue on one contract and some other things. And, and then my nonprofit could keep the net profit, which was about 20,000 for the, for the ministry. Hmm. And uh, so that was fun, you know, um, 
but COVID and, and also I've done some other things. I've, I've, I've had some, uh, you know, I have friends who have money. I, I myself don't have just this massive net worth, but I have a lot of friends who have money who are more than willing to, to help me with stuff and they enjoy it. In fact, they enjoy kind of playing around with things and stuff. So, uh, we, we built a, a, a car business, um, tried to try to stay in, in the line with that as far as, um, a lot of integrity. It was called integrity automotive. We were going to Chick-fil-A the car used car business. Uh, by the way, that cannot be done. There's a den of thieves out there. Uh, you know, (laughs) did the cars come with a, with a side of waffle fries? Is that the, is that how you Chick-fil-A the car business? Yeah, exactly. One of those big cookies, right. You know, uh, but no, it, it was very tough. And we saw that there was no way for us to make money in the business, at least from our perspective. I have friends who are Christians who run car businesses very well. But for us, we couldn't get there. And so we pivoted out of that. Uh, we owned a, a, an auto mechanic shop, which was doing very well. Um, but one thing, we were sitting down at a Chili's one day with my manager, listening to him talk. And I realized I had no idea what he was talking about. And uh, so I think it's important, you know, we, we went back and discussed this with our partners. Should we be in a business where the people who are employed by us know far more than we do about it and we can't even hold them accountable? You know, we can't even talk about billable hours and all that. You know, he was speaking another language. So we actually sold that business to our to our management team, mm. you know, um, and, uh, and walked away from that. And so that, that's it. So the two businesses that really, from a business perspective, that have made me money and that I've enjoyed was my was my delivery business, uh, and then of course uh, you know the commercial cleaning business. Uh, those two have really made money. Uh, the car business and the uh, and the mechanic shop they were fun. I mean, I learned a lot. By the way, um, I mean, I, I see people going out spending tons of money for four years of education, right? And I've spent some money on education too, but it's been in trial and error, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, I walked away, I lost $37,000 in one year in the car business. Uh, but the guy that took over after me lost 200,000 the next 12, I was like, what are you doing? You know? So <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 it was no problem for me. I I've won and I've lost and I've won while I was losing. I really have while, while I was in the process of losing, as long as I kept my heart and my head in the right place, there was lessons to be learned. You know, uh, and so I don't I don't look back on any of those as really as blatant failures. But if you're going to just put it on a P&L statement, uh, the two that have really gone well have been, you know, the commercial cleaning and the other. And now I just recently have realized that I don't want to be in the commercial cleaning business after COVID. Um, it's always been a challenging business because there's no upper mobility. Right. Uh, a guy comes to work for you, but there's really nothing else for them to do. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they can manage a few accounts, but it's, it's, it doesn't have a, doesn't ha- have a career path. And I love the restaurant business. I've always loved it. I still love it. Uh, especially the ones that are simple. And so, um, I, am um, opening in a restaurant in, in a place called, um, uh, Cobb County outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and, uh, opening it with a friend of mine. He's been very, very successful in the business already. I'm his, I'm his first franchisee. And, um, so we opened March 15th, uh, hired great management team. I won't be an absentee owner cause I live here in St. Pete. Um, but I'm in Atlanta once a month. So I'll uh, be an absentee owner, which I kind of like because it helps me helps me learn how to, you know, it, you know, you, you remember the old e-myth thing working on your business or in your business. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, someone who likes a business. If you like a business, you end up working in it because you just like it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but when I'm eight hours away by car. Uh, I can't just jump in there and make sandwiches. You know, I got, I got to do, um, got to do some other things. So, so anyways, that's where we are in the, in the, in that world. And my wife's 100% with me. 
Uh, and because of that, man, the pedals all the way down. Uh, I'll push for at least a master franchise. Uh, and I was approached last night by, by, by someone that's even considered uh, a state, uh, to, like having a whole state to wow. develop. So, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm pumped. I'm very excited about it. Um, and I love the franchise model because um, they're telling me everything. I mean, they, they, every little thing about your, you know, your POS, like your point of sale stuff, how much meat to put on the sand, everything, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to figure this out. I can spend all my time on execution rather than on innovation, you yeah. know? Um, and at this stage of my life, I, I'm kind of like that. I want to get, I want to execute and get to the bottom line and make some money. Yeah. Um, I'm not let necessarily, I'm not necessarily too creative in the business world, you know, yeah. uh, made the business world is about making money, you yeah. know? So. Well, I love that. And I'm so glad you said that because some, just last night we were on a call with some people in the entree pastors community and, uh, that, that whole question came up, you know, should I start a business around something I'm passionate about or just that makes money? And I'm like, well, the passion's good, but at the end of the day, not everything we do is necessarily just driven out of passion. Like go make some money. And then out of the, with that overflow of that money, you can do all the passion projects you want to do. Um, so, and I know there's different trains of thought on that, but, but I'm with you, man. Like it's, and especially as someone who's been in traditional pastoral ministry for a long time without all of the success in business, I'm ready to make some money. I'm ready to make up for some lost time and, and, uh, you know, make some money. I've had my years of, you know, doing the nonprofit thing, you know, literally one paycheck to the next and that's done. Those years are behind me. So, um, speaking of nonprofit, you mentioned that, but I want to go deep in a little bit into that as well. Uh, on this side of the interview, we're going to save some questions for the end, uh, for our backstage specifically related to nonprofits, but, uh, you can make money from a nonprofit. I think some people have a misconception about that, that if it's a nonprofit, there's no way to make money on that. But there's a business model around nonprofits. I mean, you can take a salary home from a nonprofit. So tell us a little bit about your nonprofit and uh, how you got into that. And even from a business standpoint, has that moved the needle on your bottom line as well from a you know from a financial standpoint? Well, yes, certainly. And it's been kind of the staple for me uh, since 2002. And so what happened was I was in I was in a church that was very kingdom minded and we were out. We were very kingdom minded and very next gen focused. And so we were supporting all of these ministries that were reaching lost kids. So inner city work, apartment ministry, campus ministry. And every time we sat down with them, we would ask them, hey, how can we help you? And it involved two thoughts money and people, right? Money and people. They needed more money. They needed more people. And so um, I said, you know what, I'm going to start a division of our church that is going to help people find the money and the people. Because I'm telling you, these people that we were working with were the cream of the crop. They were entrepreneurs at heart. I mean, they started things from scratch. I mean, one couple moved into the the poorest zip code in the United States of America, outside of Atlanta, near the Georgia Dome, moved right in there, a white couple in an all black neighborhood. They just, and they serve that community like crazy. Uh, And people couldn't believe that they did it. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking my word, I mean, that kind of commitment and passion deserves some, some uh, support, right? Not just, and and I can, I could tell you so many people that would meet with these people. We're going to pray for you. And we, you know, we'll come down once a quarter and, and, and serve hot dogs. Well, big flip. I mean, who cares, man? We we got real problems, you know? So, so I, I got excited about really helping with problems. So, I told my dad what I wanted to do, 
And he's and my dad loves naming things. If you need a name, I'll I'll, get, I'll, I'll have my dad get on it. My, my dad says, "Well, what? How does it work?" So I'm going to help youth ministries that do outreach. And so he said, "How about Youth Outreach United?" And I was like, "Man, Dad, I like that. Mm. I, I like the sound of that. Youth Outreach United." And so we we set up Youth Outreach United as a DBA, and literally, I became without the legal activity, I became a Christian Robin Hood. I would go and meet with the people who had money. They would give the money to Youth Outreach United, and I would give the money to these nonprofits. So I was kind of like the clearinghouse for these people who had money. They were like, hey, is this ministry worth giving to? Mm. Um, and I absolutely. And then they would say, well, I know you. I don't really know them. I'll give the money to Youth Outreach United, and you can you can do with it what you need to do. And wow. so that was, that was great. So And people give me real money. I mean, I'm not talking, you know, six-figure type money, but people give me Fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollars, you know, to put towards things and stuff. So I was like, "Wow, I mean, this is this is cool." Well, that was just what it was—kind of a, almost like a United Way and type approach, you know. And it was just what it was. And I was running ministries for Youth for Christ, and the board of Youth for Christ came to me and said, "Hey, listen, uh, what you do for churches is too uh, intimate." And I said, well, "What do you mean it's too intimate?" They said, "Well, you you help churches with whatever they want help with." And they said, if you're going to work for Youth for Christ, you need to promote these five ministries, you know. And they said, you're, we heard that you helped one church start an FCA, and I, and I did because they wanted to start an FCA. Uh, and it, it, we, heard, we heard that you helped one church remodel their youth room, uh, that you took a group on a retreat and trained them how to, how to you know, do all this. They said, that's not necessarily Youth for Christ. And, uh, and the chairman of the board, he says, but what you're doing is super exciting. Mm. And uh, we, we want to be involved in it. He says, you just need to have your own thing and we can support you. I said, well, actually, I do have my own thing, but it's never done ministry. Uh, it's called Youth Outreach United. They said, well, here's what we want to do. We want you to take the entire internship program and keep doing what you're doing for churches and for nonprofits. So I took 16 staff overnight wow. and off we went. And Youth Outreach United, so we switched from being kind of this, um, you know, funnel, you know, helping people get money and, and, and vetting ministries. In 2005, we became a real ministry of our own, you know, kind of running some our own stuff and still doing the other. And, um, and it just took off. We got hijacked. I, I call it hijacking. It's not, it really was, it really was fine, but we were so good at helping people develop their internship programs, fundraising, all that kind of stuff that we, we got on the radar of the big boy churches, mm. right? Uh, we were trying to be in that middle size. That that's where my heart is. My dad pastors churches three or four hundred. I pastor churches more of the two hundred range, and so I, that's where my heart was was to help those guys get in the game. But no, no, no. Charles Stanley's church heard about it. Perimeter Church, Chip Ingram, all these big name people, and we ended up doing a lot of stuff with bigger churches as well, and uh, and just kind of came on the map there. And and listen, what's exciting to me about Youth Outreach United? There's nothing like Youth Outreach United because what we do for people, and we're not raising our own flags all the time. If you're raising your own flag, then you're in competition. Uh, and we don't have to raise our own flags because our job is to help other people raise their flags. And mm -hmm. so we help other ministries fly, Child Evangelism Fellowship, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, the Mailbox Club, Bright Futures Atlanta, and the list goes on. Last year, 37 different ministries we supported. And uh, so it's just been incredible uh, to be able to do that, right? To be able to, you know, kind of come alongside. So what I've done with Youth Outreach United is just try to keep building the income stream up 
using traditional methods like events and monthly donors and that sort of thing, but also bringing some entrepreneurial, you know, entrepreneur stuff to the table. And uh, we'll, we'll, when we get behind the scenes, we'll talk, talk a little bit about the, the detail of it. But it literally, it, it just changed the game. All, all of a sudden, you know, where where we might have gotten a fifty dollar a month supporter, we ended up with a fifteen hundred dollar a month contract. You know, mm. um, and it, it's just been incredible. So we built the organization. It's not it's not gigantic. Um, it's a half a million dollar a year organization, um, and uh, we support a lot of different people, raise money for other organizations. So probably all together, we're helping you know generate six six fifty for the kingdom. But about a half a million comes through our 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 five hundred one c three. Um, and uh, it's been great. And I've been able to take a salary. Um, I, I, I do my house and allowance through this. Uh, oh, by the way, just, just, a, you know, a little detail. Youth Irish United took off so fast that the elders of my church said, Hey, we started a church here, but God started an outreach ministry. Mm. And so they gave the nonprofit to Youth Irish United and all the assets of the church. We folded the church and Youth Irish United became what, what was the church? It took over that 501c3, name change, all that kind of stuff. So uh, we can kind of, you know, we can plant churches. We can do a lot of things with the 501c3 wow. that we have. So it's wow. kind of fun. That is incredible, man. There's so much depth to that that we just don't have time to get into. But I'm glad you mentioned that. I wanted to share that. Non- and we will go deeper in our backstage time a little bit more into the fundraising portion of that. But I want our pastors to hear that because sometimes I, I meet pastors who are wrestling with this thought of, you know, well, this is so much ministry. It's not really a business, you know, and, and so can I make money off of this ministry? And the, the simple answer is yes, you can. I mean, a nonprofit is a way to, uh, it's it's different than a business, but again, you can create a salary for yourself from your own nonprofit and do some of these, you know, works that you feel called to do. So it is a, a viable thing to look at. And I just wanted people to hear your story that you are receiving a salary. That's another stream of income into your family. I wanted to make sure I wasn't misrepresenting that, that you're just not working for free, but you're also not taking all right. half a million that's coming in either. So no, can be paid more in the, in, the, if you build your own nonprofit, you can be paid a lot more because what's happening is you're not being compared um, to the history of a church, mm. right? And so a church, you may, you may be killing it at a church and they love you and they want to give you what you need. They, they may say, we want to give you 70,000. But pastor, we've never paid anybody that, yep. you know, and, and so now you're stuck into the history of what happened. If your own nonprofits there, I found that my board, uh, they just want us to stay in some sort of percentage. And, and without geeking out, um, I'm a ministry guy. So I'm on the programming side of my nonprofit. So my income is not on the operation side of the nonprofit because I'm actually doing ministry. I'm preaching and teaching six, seven times a week in schools and other things. So my entire salary is on the programming side. So it doesn't throw off the way we present to, to our, our donors. You know, mm-hmm. our donors want to see us spending no more than 20 percent on operations. And we're, we're more like 10 percent on operations, which inspires our donor base. But I can still receive a significant salary, and I, I you know, I don't mind telling you. Uh, I mean, it's 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 near the six figure type, you know, mm-hmm. uh, salary. But a church would never do that right. um, because of everything that's around it, you know, the history that's around it. Uh, nor would I necessarily want a church to do that. And of course, I would never take a full time salary from a church um, ever. I mean, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to tell the Lord what I'm going to do, but I, I don't want to, and yeah. I would beg him not. You know, know, um, because you, you know, you switch, you switch over full-time pastor. Now you're owned, uh, you're a part-time pastor. Some churches just treat you like you're volunteering. (laughs) It's the weird, 
ever, you know? Yep. So anyway. Well, that's, that's a good setup for what I'm going to throw out as the last question for this portion of the interview. And that's, I'm going to ask you, Drew, just to speak to that pastor that's listening to this right now, or maybe they're watching us on YouTube and they're, they're on the verge, man. They're, they're, they're hearing and sensing this invitation to step into some kind of entrepreneurial journey of their own. They're working through, you know, voices of fear and doubt and what's the church going to say? What's the board going to say? But what, what word of encouragement or inspiration or conviction, whatever you want to share with that pastor, what would you say to that pastor that's thinking about, man, maybe this year is the year that I'm going to branch out and start something for myself. What, what would you say to him, Drew? Well, here's the thing. I mean, you, you know, what you got to decide what you want to leave your kids and all that kind of stuff. You got to decide when you want to retire, all those kind of things. But what it, most pastors do is that they just put money away. Traditionally, it's not quite enough. And, uh, and so they end up in a situation where they're trying to, to make up at the end. I think, you know, you said you're kind of doing that. I'm kind of doing that right a little bit. Um, but I would tell pastors, you know, just because you have an interest and there's something that you want to do, uh, doesn't mean that you're being unfaithful yeah. to, to the Lord in any way, shape or form. Uh, give an example. My dad would love to, would, would agree with me completely. My dad is a Greek and a Hebrew professor, has a doctorate degree, three master's degrees. And in the education side of things, he was able to make a good side income. But instead of pursuing that, he felt kind of like conflicted, right? He felt like he really needed to stay focused on the church where he would have done, he would have been wildly successful on the side. He did pursue it a little bit, but he, he, he really probably should have gone even further. And so if you have something that, that you're interested in, um, are, you know, and the entree pastors community is great, especially that whole list of 50 things. And there, you know, if something can get sparked in your mind and you can start to build up a side income, um, it will be very good for you and your family. And you do need to think about something that pastors do not like to think about. And that is, um, net worth. You know, what, what, are you going to be worth so that you can take care of yourself, take care of your family, not put your kids in a situation where you got to live in their basement and they got to pay your bills? While you, you know, what, what is your net worth? Um, what does it need to be? Um, and unfortunately, in our world today, a million dollars, a million and a half dollars worth of net worth is not just bukus of money. It, it used to be, you know, you could be a million, that'd be great, but it's not just bukus of money. And so I just encourage pastors, um, no matter how hard you work for church, you don't own it. You know, yep. no matter how hard you nonprofit, you don't own it. It's not yours. And uh, there's no equity in it. Uh, there's not, you know, you're building up kingdom rewards. And don't get me wrong. I understand what's happening between right. you and the Lord, but you don't own it. And if you can have something that you own, that's yours, uh, then you can build some sort of equity in it. Uh, and that's my game right now. I'm really trying to, and that's one of the reasons why I'm in the service sector. Uh, I'm far more interested in the information sector that you guys are teaching me through Entree Pastors. I'm far more interested in that, um, you know, for return for value to people. But I'm in the service sector pretty strong because of the equity and net worth. So I, I, pastors, go for it. I mean, if you can, go for it. I understand that not every pastor is wired that way. And so even if it's just a side income, you know, maybe not a whole business, but just a side income where you could latch on. Um, Bob Buford's book, Halftime, actually could work for pastors, you know, because he talks about the idea of latching on, you know, um, and maybe a pastor needs to latch on to something else that someone else is doing, you know, um, and build that side income. So I say go for it. And, I, and Entree Pastors is, is a huge help for me because I can talk out loud 
about the things I'm thinking uh, and not feel judged and also have some iron sharpens iron type thing. So I love it. Drew, this has been fantastic. If somebody wanted to reach out and connect with you with another question or go deeper, what, what would be the best way for them to find you and reach out? Yeah, I think the easiest way is for them to shoot me an email. It's just my name, Drew Grubbs at gmail.com. Uh, Grubbs is spelled G-R-U-B-B-S. Uh, it doesn't matter about caps or anything. So just Drew Grubbs at gmail.com, and I'll get back with them. Fantastic. Well, Drew, thanks so much, man. We will be with you backstage shortly. I appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, there you go. Good stuff from Drew Grubbs. Hey, for those of you that are part of our backstage premium subscribers or also those of you who belong to our membership community, you will have access to the backstage content with Drew. And so stick around in just a few minutes. We'll be joining Drew backstage. He's going to talk more about how we can raise funds for nonprofits, how you do that. He's, he, I would say he's an expert in this field. He's, he does a very good job of it, and he's going to share more in depth what that looks like. And that may not be for all of you, but for those of you that have interest in nonprofits or have some involvement with nonprofits, you're going to want to hear what Drew has to say about that. So uh, stick around. We'll be there in just a few minutes. Les, before we sign off, there's a really important announcement that we want to share with people. Speaking of our membership and uh, all the awesome stuff that's happening there, tell them, tell them about it. And then you tell them, and then I'll come back and say, yeah, and put an exclamation point on it. Yeah, and please know also, everybody, that when we start talking about membership or backstage and all that, we, we want to just give all the value that we can in as many different platforms as is wise for us to do. When we started out, John, you know, there were some goals that we set for ourselves, and, and one of those goals was, you know, to increase the involvement in the community because it's not only about you and me man. It's a, it, it really is about how we can iron sharpening iron and, yep. and speaking into one another with people such as Drew Grubbs and many more. One of the things that we said was that we want to strategically increase the investment or increase the price of these memberships in a, in a, in a, 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 a as far as a strategic way, as far as timing. And one of those, um, thresholds we're coming up on. If you're listening to this, we're, it's about mid January of uh, 2022. And at the end of this month, there's going to be a, an increase, not a significant increase, but a slight increase in the uh, membership cost. We're telling you that now for a couple of reasons. One is we want to give you a ample ramp up time to prepare for that. For any of you that want to go to the, uh, the next level and go deeper, for those of you that are in our membership community already, as long as you're in and as long as that you're paying that monthly uh, fee, monthly membership, that, that never changes. So we'll, we will never change the cost for you and it will never increase. That's why we're giving you kind of an advance notice now so that if you want to get in between now and the end of January 2022, the price of $29 is set and it will never change for as long as you're in the community, but we are going to change it. And there's a, there's a good reason for this, John. So why don't you share a little bit about the, uh, the rationale for increasing that price? Yeah, a bit absolutely. And what it's gonna be? Absolutely. One of the reasons is for me, unless we've got bills to pay and we want some more money. So that's a big reason. No, <laughs> seriously, there's, there's a motivation behind it that we're saying, look, take action because the price isn't always going to be at this level, we're going to raise the price as, as simply as a way to nudge our audience a little bit and say, 
get in, take action. Don't keep listening to this and go, man, I'll get in sooner. And here's the other thing, Les, I'll just, I'm going to be straight up. When we launched this thing, we had people buying our membership before we had anything in the membership and, <laughs> and, true. uh, and they were willing to take that, that leap with us, you know, and, and build this thing with us. Well, so we kind of called it like our founding members launch. There was going to be a season of just letting people in at, at kind of that basement level. Well, we're, we are delivering value in our membership community with our monthly Q and a call with the three courses that we're building out right now, as far as the three different pathways, we're bringing some experts in those areas around those courses and, and, uh, the Facebook group that's there for the members, like there is some real value that's being delivered there. Um, and so I have like, we're raising the price to $49 a month here in the very near future from the 29 that it's currently at. And uh, it's not going to stay there either. There will come a day where we bump it up again. And uh, not just because of massive inflation that we're about to see in our country either. Like, because <laughs> yes. again, the value will be there. And, mm-hmm. and again, we'll nudge our audience and go get in, take action. Because what I know is this, because of the investments less that I've made in my life, and I know you'd say the same thing, you are where you are today, not because you just sat back and consumed content and listened, but you actually invested something, put some of your own skin in the game. And it's amazing how you move forward when you actually take action on that stuff and get involved. So that's really what's behind it. That's how I would say it, unless you want to add anything else to it. hundred percent. I wholeheartedly amen that. And we've had, I mean, from experience, we've had people who spoke into us and, and motivated us and even challenged us in those ways. And man, I thank the Lord for them. Absolutely. Because it's brought us to, to this far. So we want to, so we know it works and, uh, and we're trying to help as many people as we can take action. And this is one of the things that we believe will help. Absolutely. So if you are listening to this going, man, I should probably get in on that before the price goes up. Uh, just go to entrepastors.com forward slash community. You'll see the different ways that you can jump in the community there and be involved with us. So uh, we'd love to have you, man. I truly believe we're serving people at a high level and uh, we're seeing some people kick off some exciting businesses. We're seeing people do things that they didn't think uh, just a short time ago was possible for them. And we're seeing them take those steps. So it's an encouraging time to get to walk beside some of these entree pastors. And I'm thrilled about what the future may bring. So absolutely. one other quick thing before we sign off, Les, we all, almost always forget to do this. And it's shame on us. We should be signing off every episode by asking our uh, challenging our audience to leave a rating and review of this show on whatever uh, platform they consume their podcasts. We do want to just read a review that was left recently as a way of celebrating that, saying thank you for that, and encouraging our audience. This is another way you can help get the word out about Entree Pastors by doing this very thing. So what you got for us, Les? Yeah, absolutely. So we want to thank Running Pastor. That sounds like every pastor to me, John, but but this is from Running Pastor. I wish I had the individual's uh, complete name, but I'm, we're, we're grateful for this. So it just basically says, this is among my never-miss podcasts. The value is so rich that I download every episode and listenable multiple times. The hosts aren't presenting a theoretical experience. They're presenting principles they're implementing in their own lives that enable them to live the dream. And as in quote, that's absolutely true. So thank you for Love leaving it. that review. And, you know, if you want to 
one of the best ways to get on the good side of a podcast host is leave a review like that. So yeah. thank you, Running Pastor, for doing that. Well, whoever Running Pastor is, let me invite you to quit running. It's not good for your health, okay? So hopefully you're not being <laughs> chased right now. But seriously, thank you so much for leaving the review. We're grateful for that, grateful that this content is helpful to you and that you're uh, on, that we are on your list of never-miss podcasts. That's a pretty cool place yeah. to be. So thank you for that. Well, everybody, God bless. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for all that you're doing in the Lord's work and in ministry and in the marketplace. We're grateful for you. So thanks for being here. Can't wait to talk to you next week. All the best.